0: His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. you're listening to his and hers horror my name is tia and i'm david and this week we're gonna talk about some fun shit yes we are i want i feel like i want to start i don't know i'm in a weird mood right now i feel like sometimes we just kind of like jump right into shit okay i wish we had more segments Mm. we might have to take some time to come up with like a segment idea or something fair i don't know we don't have any horror news this week unfortunately things are still weird because of pandemic and shit Hopefully things will get better.
1: Well, plus I mean it's the end of January, mm-hmm. h- heading into February, so Yeah. we're we're kind of in that dead zone of films anyway.
0: Yeah, kind of.
1: This is the time where people would traditionally release movies they don't want to succeed.
0: That is true. Yes.
1: And I don't think any studio can afford to just send something out to not succeed right now.
0: No. And well and we've also like most studios aren't really releasing stuff with the exception of like Warner Brothers releasing stuff on like hbo max Mm -hmm. which i'm so excited for okay okay quick i'm going to tentatively title this segment tia's non-horror rant okay and it's going to be me getting to talk about something i'm excited about that is not necessarily horror go for it this week Mm -hmm. i watched godzilla king of the monsters yeah and kong skull island okay they're so fucking good and it has me so excited for Godzilla versus Kong. Hmm. I know you—you you told me this. You're not a huge fan of. You've never really been a fan of King Kong. Correct. But I imagine you are somewhat more of a fan of Godzilla. Yeah,
1: I don't give a shit about him.
0: Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, fuck. I—I
1: <laughs> I mean, I've seen—I've seen a lot of the films. I've seen all the originals. It just doesn't do anything for me. It's background noise. Fair. I, that's not to say I don't think they're good. I'm sure they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. But for me, it does not, it doesn't even get close to scratching an itch. It It's just, I don't care.
0: No, I get that. They are very, like, they're very accessible, if that mm. makes any kind of sense. Because there's not a whole lot to the concept of kaiju films in general. It's like giant monsters fight each other and humans are just kind of there.
1: Well, I mean, the early kaiju films were more uh, analysis of man's meddling with, you know, radiation and nuclear weapons and things like that. But now it has nothing to do with that. Now they're coming through fucking interdimensional rifts, and I don't really give a shit. (laughs) I mean, I want to like them. Don't get me wrong. I've spent probably 30-plus hours watching various big creature movies like Godzilla and that whole run. The original King Kong, the other variations of King Kong. uh, Again, I feel like I'm supposed to like them. Yeah. And I wind up walking away going, I guess I'm just not that into it.
0: Yeah. I will say I did like Kong Skull Island more than Godzilla King of the Monsters. Okay. And it's not just because Tom Hiddleston's in it and he's amazing and gorgeous. He is, and he is. But, like, I, I also really liked Samuel L. Jackson's character mm-hmm. in it. He has a very Captain Ahab kind of... Even Samuel L. Jackson compared himself compared his character to Captain Ahab. The, and the, the obsession and the single-mindedness of wanting to destroy Kong for what he did to his men, even though, like... You showed up in this dude's house. Like, Skull Island is Kong's house, basically. Oh,
1: okay. I was like, wait, he's got a house?
0: No, let's... No, Skull Island is essentially Kong's house. So okay, you gotcha. showed up in his house, like, you kicked in the fucking door, and then you started throwing shit around and trying to break everything, like, and then you got mad that he got defensive. I'm like, eh. No, I get it. Yeah. Like, I'm on Kong's side in this one, honestly.
1: Well, I think you're supposed to be.
0: Yeah. I'm, I mean, yeah, definitely. That's my rant. For the week. Less a rant more me gushing about how much I love. The, I loved, I think I'm one of the few people who loved the Peter Jackson King Kong. I just, I don't know. I really liked, I really enjoyed it. My sister got me the extended cut one year for my for Christmas. And it was like my favorite thing for the longest time.
1: And that's a flavor you enjoy.
0: It is a flavor I enjoy, yes.
1: Fantastic. I won't yuck on your yum.
0: Please don't. I would appreciate it. <laughs> I would like you to, to at least give the, the newer ones a try. Sure.
1: I mean, what's time anyway, but, you know... Time fin- is an illusion. It's a finite amount of thing yeah. that I have less and less of it's every a, moment. It's a
0: construct of man. Mm. Anyway.
1: Fucking patriarchy.
0: <laughs> so, this week we're going to talk about the concept of the final girl when Again, it comes to horror.
1: fucking patriarchy.
0: Well, yes. And yes and no. Now, in doing my research into mm-hmm. this concept, I kind of realized some things... And so I just want to preface this by saying a lot of the theories and analysis that are associated with the final girl trope are tied up in the idea of gender being binary. Right. We at H2Horror mm-hmm. recognize that gender is a social construct and we in no way agree with outdated gender norms and gender stereotypes We know we have a significant number of listeners that are transgender, gender fluid, gender not conforming. And so when we're talking about these theories and stuff, when it comes to the final girl, please know we're just coming at it from a scholarly standpoint. We in no way think that this is acceptable. Right. So there is that. You are seen. You are loved. There. Okay. So I did, did uh, clearly did some research into the idea of the final girl and it's so it's very complicated mm. because there's not really a set definition right the simplest definition is that the final girl is the last character left alive to confront the killer in a slasher movie okay that is when it when you get down to brass tacks that's the most basic possible definition you can have Now, obviously, there are other, what's the word?
1: Variations.
0: Variations.
1: Interpretations.
0: Interpretations, other levels to that.
1: My middle name is Thesaurus, by the way.
0: Well, yeah. (laughs) Thank you. So the original meaning of the final girl was actually described by Carol J. Clover in her 1992 book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film. Mm Mm-hmm. I haven't read this book. I would like to.
1: You'll, you'll have it shortly.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> is this what you ordered me? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm waiting. Okay. But the thing is, it's it's a rather narrow definition. Right. Part of that is because she was specifically looking at slasher films from the 70s and 80s. And this essay was written in 1992. So it, again, like I was saying before, it's very based on like the gender binary and the traditional roles of men and women. In society.
1: And in slasher films.
0: And in slasher films, yes. So she studied slasher films from the 70s and 80s, which is, as we previously discussed, considered the golden age of the slasher film. Lots of fake blood. Lots of fake blood. And she described the final girl as a female who is the sole survivor of a group of people, usually young people, so people,
1: Teens, teenagers, 20s.
0: people in their early 20s, yeah. that kind of deal. Who are chased by a villain and who gets a final confrontation with the villain, uh, whether she kills him herself or she is saved at the last minute by someone else, such as a police officer. Mm. And she has that privilege because of her implied moral superiority. So she's the only one who doesn't have sex or do drugs or other such behaviors, unlike her friends.
1: Mm. Sounds like a bunch of made up rules.
0: I mean, it is. But the thing is, she's not wrong.
1: Well, I mean, just because someone doesn't drink or have sex or do drugs doesn't make them morally superior. She could also be killing kittens in in her spare time.
0: True, but in the context of this, we'll get into it. Okay. So there is this other theorist, Tony Williams, who argues that while 1980s horror film heroines were more progressive than those of earlier decades, the gender change is done conservatively, and the Final Girl Convention cannot be regarded as progressive without, quote, more thorough investigation. So basically, his idea is that in a lot of slashers, the final girl's victory is often ambiguous or only apparent. It's not definitive. He also says the fact that she is still alive at the end of the movie doesn't necessarily make her a victorious heroine. Mm, So examples of this, you have Jess, from the 1974 Black Christmas.
1: Right, right, right. Uh,
0: and then Chris Higgins from Friday the 13th Part 3, where she lives, but like at the end of the film, she's being taken away on a stretcher and she's just like completely catatonic. So is that a victory or did she just survive?
1: Yeah, I mean, what what are you defining survival as?
0: Exactly. And we don't know what happens to her after that.
1: Uh, probably at minimum, a lot of therapy.
0: Well, at min- well then again, this was the 80s. Mental health. We're we're currently in the the great. We're currently in twenty twenty one, and
1: okay, psychiatric facilities. Yeah,
0: psych- yeah, probably. So one of the basic premises, premises, premises of uh, Clover's theory is that uh, audience identification is unstable and fluid across gender lines, particularly in slasher films in general. Right. So she argues that during the final girl's confrontation with the killer. She becomes masculinized, that was a difficult word to say, uh,
1: you can, yeah.
0: through phallic appropriation. Mm. So by picking up a weapon like a knife or a chainsaw, which, you know, it's a penetrative weapon. Right. Well, maybe not chainsaws necessarily, but knives and machetes. Usually she picks up some sort of penetrative weapon. And so the theory there is that that weapon is a representation of like a phallic.
1: I mean, even an axe could be a big swinging penis that she's swinging at them.
0: Exactly, exactly. The phenomenon of the male audience having to identify with a young female character is in an ostensibly male-oriented genre, usually associated with the sadistic voyeurism, raises interesting questions about the nature of slasher films and their relationship with feminism.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: So Clover actually argues that for a horror film to be successful, it is necessary that the surviving character be female mm-hmm. because she must experience abject terror. And many viewers would, the theory is that many viewers would reject a film that tried to put a man in that same role. So it, it's, it's a kind of like a audience credulity kind of thing where it's more believable that a woman would be scared than a man in that situation.
1: Okay. I didn't think I was going to have to rant until Later, but uh, I need a minute. Go for it. And this is going to be brief. Okay. So what that person is saying is that male viewers or male-identifying viewers of a horror film mm-hmm. would find it less believable for a male-presenting character to be an abject terror. Yes. Now I want everybody listening <laughs> to close your eyes and picture this. Well, if you're driving, please don't close your eyes, but picture this in your mind. Think of the last time you saw a man walk into a spider web. Yeah. Instantly knows some sort of flailing Kung Fu and probably screamed. Yeah. So I call that take that men generally as, and I'm not speaking for a society, just an observation of Western society's perceptions of men. And the concept of masculinity. Masculinity is that you got to be tough, but there's a counter to that you know common mm-hmm. cold taking them out for for days and just being completely helpless right which i mean it it's a it's a trope a lot of guys don't do that but i can't tell you how many times i've had at least three different co-workers come up to me while i was recording a, a training lesson or or listening to it back and come up behind me or to my side i didn't see them and i screamed yeah Maybe that's just me. I'm comfortable with the fact that maybe my scream will scare away whatever creature is touching me. Right. I, I don't know. I, I just don't I don't buy that bullshit that they think that men wouldn't believe the outcome of a horror film if a man was put in that spot. I understand they're probably thinking, well, most male audience members, most stereotypical male audience members would look at that and go, well, I would have done this or I would have done that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's it's easy to fall into that trap
0: because it's very much tied up in the in the in toxic masculinity and that kind of thing. And I'm sure there are female audience members that would also be like also believe those kind of tropes about men. It's like, oh, men are brave and tough and a guy wouldn't be scared in this kind of situation. But the thing is, there are there are final boys in horror. Yeah. So despite this idea that, oh, we wouldn't believe a man being a a man being scared, there have been, you know, final boys in films for decades. It's not like it's a new concept because we've got Ash Williams from the Evil Dead franchise. Yeah. Granted, he's, you know, kind of a badass, but still, like, he's clearly fucking terrified in various instances. And then you've got Jesse Walsh from Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Um,
1: well, he, yeah, he was definitely fucking terrified, but Freddie also took a different approach with him.
0: That's true. But but still, like, he's the final, he's the Nancy Thompson of the film, basically.
1: Hey, you leave Nancy alone.
0: But you know what I mean, though? Yeah. Then you've got Tommy Jarvis
1: mm-hmm.
0: from Friday the 13th, 4 through 6. Mm-hmm. And more recently, Paxton Rodriguez from Hostel. Yeah. Granted, he does fall victim to another trope in the second film. Right. But still, like we do have guys that live. We do have guys that that are the final survivor of their particular situation, and I I just don't. I don't know. I'm just not a fan of it being so like. Well, it has to be a woman because they wouldn't believe it. Be they wouldn't believe in a man being scared. It's like that's fucking stupid.
1: You know, it kind of pisses me off that something that could be read as feminist and empowering is almost intrinsically tied to a counter-belief of, or a counter-dependence, rather, on toxic masculinity.
0: hmm Essentially, yes. Ew. So, when it comes to the final girl, if she does appear in a sequel, there is an extremely high chance that she will fall victim to another trope in horror known as sudden sequel death syndrome. hmm So, this this is the thing that I was talking about with Pax in, right. in Hostel. He survives the first film but dies within like the first 10 minutes of the second film.
1: Yeah. Kind of disappointing.
0: Yeah. So examples of final girls that fall victim to sudden sequel death syndrome. Alice from Friday the 13th -hmm. dies at the very beginning of part two. Right. Rachel from Halloween part four. Yeah. Dies in part five. Kristen and Nancy in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise.
1: Mm, I kind of disagree with Nancy because Nancy actually was in quite a bit of three
0: right but she it's it doesn't say that she dies immediately that's the basically sudden sequel death syndrome just means they survived one movie but they died in another one uh
1: i was i was reading the word sudden as sudden
0: to be fair her death does seem kind of bullshit and random and even in three even though it is towards the end of the film it's kind of bullshit and random to me
1: don't worry we'll get there
0: yeah i'm i know <laughs> <laughs> So the concept as we as we've started to show the concept of the final girl is interpreted very differently in film theory. So there are three main theories that I have. Okay. What's that? Um, so the first is that for some people the final girl character seems to be basically the living embodiment of stereotypically conservative attitudes of what a woman should be. Mhm. So she's virginal or at least chaste. If she yeah, has she, had.
1: Well, she's in a slasher movie. She's being chased all over the place.
0: You know what I mean when I say. Yeah, she's not having sex. <laughs> right. She's moderately, uh, not moderately dressed.
1: Modesty. Modestly
0: dressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, doesn't engage in risky behaviors like drinking, drugs, that kind of thing.
1: Running up the stairs when she could just walk out the door.
0: Right. She also often tends to be a brunette. Yeah. Very rarely is the final girl blonde. She's either a brunette or a redhead.
1: Well, in the 70s and 80s, usually the blondes were the ones that they were having to take their tops off, which was kind of a death sentence.
0: Right, precisely. Clover does also note that several final girls have gender-neutral names. Hmm. So Chris, Sydney, Erin, Jesse, Alex.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: But feminists when they look at the theory have actually noticed that through this device the males in the audience are forced to identify with a woman in the climax of the film rather than identifying with a representation of themselves they represent yeah yeah
1: no i and and i, w- I want to say a little bit on that because yeah, of that course. that resonates with me because if i saw and this is just me mm-hmm. like when i play video games if i can create my own character i usually choose a female character one because, I mean, if I'm if it's third person, I want to like what I'm looking at. Generally speaking, well, <laughs> uh, I I've I've dabbled with making myself in things, everything from Fallout Four to Sims, and I don't like watching myself die. It's just kind of a mortality thing. It, it's also I,
0: depending I, on the game, the clothing options are way better for for yeah. female characters. Same with
1: hair and everything else. Yeah. Uh, voice acting, if there's voice acting. Regardless, though, when I'm watching a film where there is a final girl. We're in, we're in the climax of the film. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. If I'm engaged in the film, I am actively rooting for that character. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I mean, you'd have to be one heck of a charmer if you were a final guy in in, in a film where I'm just sitting there going, good luck, dude. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I, I don't find myself engaged. So that's kind of an observation I've had with myself.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the other theories kind of goes back to that whole... Uh, abject terror thing Mm -hmm. it's just that the theory that the makers of a horror film want the victim to experience abject terror in the climax and that it has to be a woman for it to work but again that's fucking bullshit
1: it sounds like i want to torture a woman
0: yeah kind of so we do have some subversions to the whole final girl thing okay and I have three examples and they may seem a little weird, but go with me here.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm strapped in. Let's go.
0: Okay. So my first kind of subversion of the whole final girl thing would be in Quentin Tarantino's Death Proof. Mm. So the first group of girls are slightly repressed with their sexuality, especially Arlene, who other, otherwise known as Butterfly, mm-hmm. who is also portrayed as being a part from her group of friends like she's visiting from out of town that kind of thing right
1: she's the outsider yeah and the she's audience's surrogate if you will
0: yeah and she is very much set up to be like a final girl type but she dies along with all of her friends mm. whereas the second group of girls very open about their sex lives very like bombastic i guess is fun the,
1: fun. fun they are fun
0: open they don't take they don't take shit
1: those are those are the ladies I would want to hang out. They with.
0: They take greater risks, particularly with the whole. What is the game called? Ships mast.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, something. something yeah, like that.
0: ships mast. Where Zoe Bell's on the
1: hood of, the hood car. of a car yeah. while they're
0: driving. That's the kind of risk taking behavior that would get someone killed pretty quickly in your average slasher film,
1: or a motor vehicle accident.
0: Right, but <laughs> but she and the other two girls in the car, they're just fine. Yeah, and they beat a lot of ass at the end so uh one of the other subversive examples is uh dana in cabin in the woods Mm. so for those of you who aren't who are unfamiliar with cabin in the woods it's an amazing movie i highly recommend seeing it but it causes you to look at every horror movie you've ever seen in a totally different way Mm -hmm. because the idea is that there's this secret worldwide organization that is responsible for making human sacrifices to the old gods. At least one sacrifice has to happen throughout the whole world. Otherwise, our shit's fucked. So the American branch is, their whole ritual is based on stereotypical slasher tropes. Right. So the slutty girl has to die first. And then there's like the bro-y douchebag jock character and the, smart guy and the stoner and then the the virginal final girl right the thing is if you look at the characters of jules and dana jules is rather studious she dresses at least before she starts getting mind controlled with the hallucinogenics Mm
1: -hmm.
0: dresses rather rather modestly right she's in a committed relationship Mm
1: -hmm.
0: she's not the slutty you know type Whereas Dana has recently just basically been dumped by a professor that she was having an affair with. Right. So she's not even a virgin. So at the end, when they're like talking about how about the sacrifices and they say that she needs to live because she's the virgin, she's like, I'm not a virgin. And Sigourney Weaver's character is just like, well, we work with what we have. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they basically shove her into this role. And it's just I don't know. It's fun. Uh, the last version I have is uh, All the Boys Love Mandy Lane, mm. where it's, again, your typical teen slasher kind of set up, only it turns out that Mandy is actually in on it with the killer. Right. And it's all just this whole big revenge thing. So those are fun. Uh, and then I have one example of the final girl trope being heavily enforced, and that is in The Final Girls.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So we've discussed the final girls on a previous episode. There is a bit towards the end where basically Max decides that she wants Nancy to live because Nancy is played by her mother who in the real world died in an accident. Right. So Max is trying everything she can to make it so that they both live. But because they're inside a slasher film, that is physically impossible. So Nancy kind of realizes after Max gets like a mortal wound Nancy realizes that because of the final girl trope, they can't both live. So she sacrifices herself, which makes Max the final girl. And as a result, her wounds, like, instantly heal. And she's suddenly, like, a fucking badass when it comes to fighting.
1: And th- that final fight was the like, fuck Like, these best.
0: knee slides and shit?
1: Yeah. T- take some of the best action from Thor Ragnarok. Cross it with, Ugh. like, doom. Yeah. Not the movie, the game.
0: The game, yeah.
1: And that's the vibe you get. It's I mean, very, oh. Yeah. It's so good. It, it's good.
0: So that's all I have as far as like history and background and stuff. One thing that I did say we should do that mm-hmm. I thought would be fun. Yeah. Is for us to pick our top five final girls. Yeah. And I'm curious how much we overlapped.
1: I have no idea how much we overlapped, but I know that I broke the rules on one of them.
0: Okay. Fair. There was one I wanted to put on my list, but I knew a lot of people would probably cry foul and say that these movies technically aren't horror. Would I disagree? Because we've done a whole episode on them. And that's the Alien franchise and Ellen Ripley. Oh, yeah. She is technically a final girl. So, but I didn't put her on my list. I put strictly horror characters on my list. So do you want to go first with your first one?
1: Sure. I may as well just, uh, I'll put the soon to be disqualified in and commentary uh, one okay. up there first. <laughs> uh, this actually will knock out two of them. Go for it. I have two final girls. Okay. From the same film title. Okay. And that is because I'm covering two different versions of the film.
0: I'm very, you guys can't see this, but I have a very, my, I'm thinking face on.
1: You probably won't even get it if I told you her name. Go for it. Jennifer Hills.
0: Oh, no, I do. I do. I spit on your grave? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And here I'm I'm feeling like I kind of broke the rules a little bit because this is more of like a revenge deal but I mean
0: I mean I feel like it it straddles a line.
1: It straddles a An line. An argument
0: that, could be made.
1: Which is why I'm getting it out of the way now. First of all, one of the earliest horror movies after The Exorcist that I watched because I picked it out at the video store and my mom I, said, your parents "Sure, parents whatever. Just
0: let you rent whatever the fuck you wanted.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure I got this and Chopping Mall the same day. Because they would let me rent, like, two or three videos.
0: I swear Um, to... Sometimes I feel like your parents are, like, the complete polar opposites of my parents. Because my parents, like, researched shit.
1: Oh, so your parents were present and didn't have you raised by the television. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Well... Sorry. (laughs) I'm still alive. Yeah, fair. Granted, half my diet as a child was frozen burritos, but that's okay. Eh. Became a connoisseur of them. Anyway, I Spit On Your Grave, relatively controversial film both the 1978 and
0: 2010 even now
1: yeah it i'm not going to go into graphic detail of of what happens but
0: no we'll talk about the style of film at some point yeah
1: it definitely goes into a more exploitative look you know yeah you know from one lens you could see that keep in mind though that the film was originally titled day of the woman Yes. Because she gets her revenge. So Mm -hmm. I have a feeling somewhere in the writing process or, you know, the, you know, in in the original layout, it was not meant to necessarily be all about exploiting the character as much as it was saying nothing can keep her down. She she will get her revenge.
0: Well, if I remember correctly, the original film was like one of those grindhouse theater type films.
1: Yeah, so in the 1978 version, it's a Manhattan-based short story writer who rents a secluded cabin in Connecticut. For the 2010 version, she's a Manhattan-based novelist who rents a place in Louisiana. Yeah. So why they jump from Connecticut to Louisiana, I guess, believability?
0: I don't know. I think, I don't know. It seems kind of like stereotypically shitty that they're like, oh, we'll put her in this, we'll make her this, you know, coastal um, New England elitist that goes to the deep south and gets fucked with and that kind of thing.
1: Well, for all my New England kind of shitty. friends, mm-hmm. New York is not New England.
0: No, it is not.
1: But Connecticut is New England. <laughs> yeah. And and I feel like the remake kind of tried to lean into this, like everybody in Louisiana lives in the swamp and is, Which is, is a not hill, also you know, redneck. not true. That's not true. I mean, I've met a couple people from Louisiana. They weren't in swamps.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm uh, sure given recent events, there's a lot of people in the country that have certain opinions about Missourians. We are not all our senators
1: yeah, <laughs> and no, congressmen. Fuck, fuck that guy. No,
0: no, fuck him. Sorry.
1: <laughs> but in both situations, she's a writer that gets
0: brutally, f-
1: brutally, physically and sexually attacked. Yeah. Left for dead and recovers. Mm hmm. And then picks them off one by one.
0: Yeah.
1: Which lesson to anyone out there: one, uh, don't write.
0: Yeah. And two, don't
1: do it. Don't fuck with writers.
0: Don't fuck. Yeah. Don't writers fuck with have to be all. creative? Well, I, that's <laughs> the thing. As I feel, so the sequel was made in like a post Saw Hostel kind of era. The
1: remake or the sequel? Because there were two. Sorry, se- the,
0: the re- well, the remake and the sequel. Yeah, because there were the two. Sequels se- to the remake.
1: Two sequels and a sidequel that were done off of the remake.
0: Mm-hmm. But because it was main in the post-saw, post-hostile torture... Again, I hate the phrase torture porn, but everyone knows what I mean when I say it, so mm. I, I almost feel like I... But because of that, some of the deaths that she... They're much more elaborate than they need to be.
1: Yeah. I do have a fun fact about the remake, though. Go for it. The iconic cover of the remake. Hmm. Would you like to know who that is standing there on the cover? Sure. Uh, You basically see the back of her... Demi Moore actually posed for it. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: It's not the actual actress? Nope. Huh. I wonder why. Uh, I don't know. No, well, I, yeah. Striptease? Who fucking knows.
1: <laughs> I honestly don't know. It was just a fun fact I read. Yeah. I, I did not get the details as to why.
0: No, you're fine. I got it.
1: So, yeah, that's two of mine because two different actors. Two
0: different iterations of the of the of basically the same character. Yeah. My first... Fi- I didn't do mine in any kind of order, Neither did I. Two of mine are probably going to be pretty obvious just because they're so iconic. Mm. So I'm going to go ahead and, and get... Do, should I go ahead and get both of them out of the way?
1: Sure. I did too. You do too.
0: Lori Strode and Nancy Thompson. All
1: mm. right. I actually picked one of those. Nancy? Yeah, you bet. Of course.
0: Because you love Heather Langenkamp.
1: I mean, she's married now, but yeah. she is.
0: She is. She's married. That doesn't mean you can't still love her. Well,
1: I mean, yeah, I still love her, but I had a huge crush on her.
0: Yeah. I, I just feel like they're so, they're classics. They're such iconic characters. And I honestly felt like I had to pick them. Because when you look at the the concept of the final girl in general, these are the groundwork that you look at. Right. These are the first and the core examples of that trope. There would be no final girl trope if it wasn't for Laurie and Nancy. It okay. wouldn't really exist. I mean, there were some prior to that. That you could kind of consider Final Girls, but it was very, like, these ones, these two are definitive.
1: Right, right. Before it was just like, oh, this thing happened. Right, exactly. Whereas this is like, oh, and here's the part where this comes in.
0: Right. So those are, those are two of mine.
1: Can I say something about Nancy in particular? Yeah. So Nancy Thompson did something really, she was the first one I put down on my list because Mm -hmm. she actually did something that I haven't seen any other Final Girl do. And that is in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, yes, there was running and trying to take something of Freddy's back in, you know from the dream world and all that shit.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm talking the climax of the film. She doesn't try to stab him or shoot him. She doesn't yes. take a phallus of any kind. She doesn't you know swing an axe or a chainsaw. She turns her fucking back on him yes. and says, I give you no power. I, I do take, not fear. Yeah. I take everything. I take
0: but- every bit of power I gave you. And she turns around and open and goes to open the door and he just poof, disappears. And I,
1: I saw that. Mm-hmm. I was like that that woman is a fucking icon. Little you know young me was looking at that saying that is power right there.
0: Cuz yeah, she does try and like hurt him and stuff, but when she finally realizes that's not going to work, she just says, "You know what? She just decides that she's not going to let him have any power over her anymore." Because that's and what that's he feels. And that's fucking amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, that right there for me, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have my folks in any order, but, I mean, Nancy is...
0: She's up there.
1: Yeah. Now, granted, if you're dealing with a slasher that's, you know, always corporeal and doesn't feed off of fear energy. Yeah,
0: if you're dealing with not a dream a dream demon.
1: Yeah, if you're, de- <laughs> if you're dealing with, you know...
0: A flesh and blood person.
1: Yeah, you know, George the Stalker or whatever. You
0: can't just say, oh, I don't believe in you anymore and turn around because they're just going to be like, all right, <laughs>
1: You yeah. know, you get knife, little...
0: knife and shoulder blades,
1: right? But so, still,
0: yeah. Do you want to do your next one?
1: Sure. Well, that okay. So Nancy
0: was one was one was, of yours too. Yeah. yeah, which I knew we were going to overlap when it came to Nancy. It's yeah. fine.
1: Did you want to say anything about Lori? I mean, she's the only one I've ever seen fight with a coat hanger.
0: True. She st- she stabs them. There's so many like representative phallic objects because she's got a, a sewing ne- a knitting needle that she stabs them with. Mm-hmm. She unwinds like a wire hanger and stabs them in the eye. <laughs> Although realistically, she's part of that whole, that whole thing where she ends up getting saved by somebody else, right? Because she thinks Michael's done, and so she tells like Tommy and Lucy to, or no, not Lucy, Lindsay, right? Go to the neighbors, have them call the cops. And she's just kind of sitting there, and he just gets up and starts to strangle her, and that's when Loomis shoots him. However. If we're going with the new timeline, she gets infinitely more badass.
1: Yes, she does.
0: Like, even if you're looking at, like, one of the original timelines, and you look at Mm H2O, where she is, like, a teacher at a school, that one.
1: She's still aware. She's still
0: aware, and she's still a fucking badass. She's like, no, we're not doing this shit. Yeah. She's got, like, a gun in her purse, and she gets an axe out, and it's, I don't know. She's just awesome.
1: I don't... Oh, I, I was picturing gun out of purse and then axe out of purse. I, I watched a lot of Felix the Cat when I was little. Yeah. So, you know, he's got this magic bag of tricks. Google it. You'll you'll understand. Um,
0: yeah. Kind of like Mary Poppins, but with weaponry.
1: And also Other a stuff. cat. Well, you know. Well, Laurie's not a cat. Felix was. Yes. Yeah. Who's your next one? My, I guess my, my fourth one <laughs> is uh, Kristen Parker from Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. And here's, okay. my re- here's my reasoning behind it.
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: While Nancy was, you know, the OG. Yeah. Kristen was able to reach out to other people sensitive to what had been done before.
0: Yeah. She and
1: can... could enter other people's dreams.
0: Yeah, she can bring people into her dreams. Well,
1: and, and, and reach out to Nancy. Because that's how Nancy, you know, I mean, she brought her into her yeah. dream. Yeah, and Nancy was like, oh, I got to find this.
0: I don't think she can go into other people's dreams, but I think she can bring people into her dreams. I don't know, though.
1: There was some reach they, out and you touch someone really, stuff.
0: Yeah, but she, yeah, she can call out to people. That's one of her abilities. Yeah,
1: And I mean, the fates of all of the people that died in that film were just rough. I mean, it kind of made the stuff from the first two movies. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't want my head slammed through a old welcome, school TV.
0: Welcome to prime time, bitch. Yeah. The puppetry one is the one that really skews yeah, me. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's, that's rough. Yeah. But I don't feel like Dream Warriors gets as much love as it does get memes. Dream Warriors. In my dreams, I'm bad and, and beautiful.
0: beautiful.
1: <laughs> and, like, all these kids are doing their powers and, like...
0: Like, the f- that one nerdy kid who's like, In my dreams, I'm not in a wheelchair. And then he's like, And also, I'm a wizard. It's like, you should have led with the whole wizardry <laughs> thing, kid. You c- you could have just said in my dreams I'm a wizard and we would just be like all right and you can walk cool like, and yeah. you didn't have to explain.
1: <laughs> it's like, you know, hey, what's your superpower? Oh, my teeth are always gleaming white. Oh, and I can fly.
0: Oh, and I can fly, yeah. Also.
1: <laughs> it's come on, lead with the power not not just a trait.
0: It, the other thing I will say about Kristen Parker is that her abilities are being able to reach out to people and being bring people into her dreams. And also gymnastics.
1: <laughs> well, I mean you have gotta have something to fall back on, you know? It's so weird though. <laughs> if your acting career doesn't doesn't pan out, become a great chef.
0: I just think it's funny. <laughs> I just find that amusing.
1: Like like when they were writing that, it's like, okay, everybody picked two things and what
0: uh, I'm telepathic, but also I can do cartwheels.
1: <laughs> well, I mean you got bad and beautiful, I can walk and I'm a wizard. Mm-hmm. I'm strong and Ben chairs. Is that the same thing?
0: He's just strong.
1: Yeah, he's like, oh, wait, we could pick two? Yeah. Because I think everybody else got two.
0: The mute kid, his is just being able to talk.
1: Well, I mean, there was a lot of, you there's, know. There's a lot
0: of characters to keep straight in that franchise.
1: Well, there was a lot of representation, too, because, I mean, not a whole lot of horror films at the time were showing that level of diversity. That's true. But I digress.
0: No, you're fine. So my next one is Erin from Your Next. Mm-hmm. Is she on your list too?
1: She is indeed on my list too.
0: Fuck yeah! You know why she's on your list, one on both of our lists because she's a fucking boss.
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, oh she, my God. she was played by Sharni Vincent.
0: It's if you haven't seen Your Next, guys, I highly recommend it. It is so good. It was actually shot in the town we live in. Yeah. So it's a house up on the um, country club property yeah. up by the, you actually can't get to it from the street anymore. Mm. People, I guess fans of the film were trying to like go and see it and everything. And then, so they've kind of like blocked it off, mm. which is a shame because I totally would. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> I would be one of those people. So basically there's this dinner party that I think they're celebrating like the parents anniversary.
1: Yeah. Something like that. That's a really awkward event to be taking your new girlfriend to, to meet your family members by the I way mean,
0: it tr- you just kind of pick a thing
1: yeah but i mean like if the first time i met all of your family was at a you know 50th wedding anniversary or something like that that would be a lot of fucking pressure on me
0: i think the first time you met some of my extended family was when like my uncle had come back for a visit during easter yeah that was also very
1: that was close quarters
0: yeah but I love Aaron. So she basically, her boyfriend, Crispin. <coughs> uh, no
1: offense to anyone named Crispin. Fair, just, yes. It, it's, it's it's fun to me.
0: So, like, there's definitely, like, sibling rivalry and a lot of bickering. And someone thinks they see something outside during dinner and they stand. And all of a sudden he just gets, like, fucking shot with an arrow.
1: Yeah, he's got a, a bolt or an arrow through his yeah. throat, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it just kind of devolves from there where more and more people start dying. There's the, by these, being killed by these people with like animal masks.
1: Yeah, like sheep and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: And it turns out that Aaron is a fucking boss and was raised on like a survivalist compound. Yeah. So she starts to make all these, like, the kind of traps that Kevin from Home Alone would have made.
1: With some training.
0: With some training. Yeah. (laughs) So like, not broken glass, but like nails in a board and rigging up like a sledgehammer to hit anybody who comes through the door. And one of my, one of the things that she does that is my favorite thing is when she's being chased through the basement and she's breaking the light bulbs as she goes. Yeah. So not only is that person dealing with broken glass, they also can't fucking see.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's just so good. Some of the deaths in that are great.
1: I never would have thought to take the glass off the blender and yeah. use that as a combat weapon.
0: That's yeah. one of the two times I've only ever seen that method of death in, in a movie. Yeah. Because they did it, she did it, mm-hmm. and you're next, and then it also happens in the first Unfriended.
1: Yeah, but like that was like stuck into the guy's head.
0: Yeah, the one in your next, she uses it as a weapon, whereas in unfriended, it's used as like a dude, suicide. Dude kind of.
1: blends himself. Yeah, it's he
0: puts his own throat on it.
1: it, it it's a thing.
0: Yeah. But, oh my god, your next is such a good fucking movie. Sorry, I love it. It's a great movie. Anyway, moving on.
1: What's your fourth one since you've used up two of mine? Shit,
0: uh, look, I'm so, we uh, <laughs> we knew that there was going to be some overlap. <laughs> I do not apologize for that. That's fine. My next one is Mia mm. from the newer Evil Dead film. It is not a remake. It is a film that takes place within the established Evil Dead universe.
1: Right. Well, that I is.
0: Know. That is per Sam Raimi and Fede Alvarez.
1: Yeah, and so, and a lot of folks call it remake just because it's easy to say, but it's not, it is not a remake.
0: It is not. It is technically a. Se- it's it's not even a sequel.
1: It's just, it, another, just movie it's in another movie. It's another movie in that universe. Yeah.
0: In the same way that, bringing this back, Kong Skull Island is not a sequel to Godzilla. It just takes place in the same universe. Fair enough. So the whole thing with Mia is she's, she's like the antithesis of a final girl. Mm-hmm. Because she's, she's a heroin addict. Right. The whole point of the film is they're going to their family's cabin in the middle of nowhere so that she can basically go cold turkey and detox from heroin In a place where she's got, like, her brother, her brother's girlfriend, and, like, two of their best friends. Yeah. And the whole thing is that's why they're there. So you would think she's not necessarily the final girl type. But she does end up being the last person alive. Yeah. She dies first, technically.
1: She goes through a lot of shit first. She
0: fucking goes through a lot. Holy crap. If you are not a fan of brutal shit, (laughs) maybe stay away from this film. Because it gets pretty rough. I will have to say, I feel like the character who gets it the worst Mm -hmm. is uh, Eric. But I feel like that's on purpose. He bought
1: that. He bought that with his own actions. Well, because
0: he's the one who read from the book.
1: Yeah, because he's an idiot. And that's why he's not the final girl.
0: Well, for various reasons. (laughs) Because the whole thing is, with the Book of the Dead, when they find it in this version, it's wrapped up in trash bags and like barbed wire motherfucker has to actively go and get a pair of like wire Wire cutters cutters, and like really try to and then the actual spell to summon the demon to start the whole ritual thing it's completely scratched out so then he has to do a fucking etching
1: yeah like a fucking rubbing
0: to figure (laughs) out what it is
1: i mean he, he walked up a lot of hills to get himself killed.
0: And I feel like as a result, that's why he gets such rough treatment, because everything is really his fault. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It yeah. seems weird. I love the blood rain at the end where and she just like puts the chainsaw on the stub of her hand. And the demon's like, I will feast on your soul. And she's like, feast on this motherfucker. Yeah. Oh, it's so great. It's a good movie. Now I want to watch it again.
1: fair we've got time
0: who's your next one or last one I guess since I took two of yours
1: that's okay this is actually the one that also might be controversial go for it because this is a film that this is a final girl from a film that a lot of people say is the worst of the franchise I wholeheartedly disagree okay but then again I have a lot of hot takes like for Halloween my favorite one is three but that's because it's it's different. It's the, one,
0: it's the different one, which was what John Carpenter originally intended. Right.
1: I mean, that was the original artist fiction. Anyway. Anyway. So a young actress, Lar Park Lincoln, brought to my life Tina Shepard from Friday the 13th Part 7.
0: Oh, my God.
1: So Car- I'm going to... Carrie versus Jason. I, I'm going to say right now, <laughs> if you're expecting a straight-faced slasher movie, well, one, I don't know what that is. To, it's the 7th Friday the 13th movie, so if you're familiar with that franchise, you know that things get a bit...
0: If you're a fan of the show, you've listened to our takes on the <laughs> Friday the 13th franchise several times, including the time we did an entire episode about it. So you yeah. know my feelings, and you know how ridiculous these movies get. So, Although so, Tina Shepard is it's not even the worst.
1: <laughs> no, no. Like, there's there's a Friday the 13th where it's not even... Well, there's a couple, actually, where it's not even Jason, so... Yeah. Um, But no, Tina Shepard, okay, basically she may or may not have psychically killed her dad by causing him to drown. She definitely psychically killed her dad. Well, okay, he was being a dick, but still...
0: He was being an abusive, alcoholic dick.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, even that, you know, even the film looked at, you know, the trauma of saying, you know, he may have been a dick, but maybe I shouldn't have killed him.
0: Yeah, yeah. She does harbor a lot of guilt about that.
1: Well, it doesn't help. Because I don't think
0: she meant to do that necessarily.
1: Just to stop him. Well, yeah. she stopped him permanently. She didn't mean to
0: kill him. She just meant to give him a taste of his own medicine, I think.
1: Well, you got a full dose. Yeah. But I mean, there have been so many movies before this where running doesn't work against Jason. Shooting him doesn't work against Jason. Lighting him on fire apparently doesn't work. Drowning him doesn't really work except when it does except when it does (laughs) like some people are like oh he's scared of water it's like then why is he killing people from underwater then how
0: did he swim from crystal lake to new york
1: yeah that's a that's a good that's a damn good question too yeah but this movie brought us a final girl that telekinetically throws i i say throw in air quotes more like slow lobs
0: slowly yeets (laughs) slowly yeets
1: (laughs) a potted plant at Jason,
0: <laughs> that contains the decapitated head of one of her friends' friends. I mean, you know,
1: the the head of my friend's friend is the weapon to my enemy.
0: Is, is that is that the one where someone goes, "He's killing me"? Or is that one of the other ones?
1: No, that that's that one. Okay, he, he's he's in the basement. Yeah, rando dude, that's that's tracking down. He's
0: killing me.
1: What's going on down there? He's killing. He's killing me. me. But. I mean, you know what? If nothing else, they tried a new direction. They and, did. And it was refreshing. Was it campy as all hell? Yes. Did yeah. it take place at a camp? No. Technically, do, no. Did I care? No. It was still fun. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't great, but it was fun. It was fun, and yeah. And she did a good job. And she was a fun final girl to cheer on. So... Yeah. Th- you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to defend it. She's my pick. That's what I'm sticking with.
0: I. This is our show. We can do what we want. Yeah. So my last pick, I just watched this movie yesterday, yesterday. Yes. And I, of course it's Blumhouse. So it's, uh, I should have known that was going to be good, but I didn't realize how much I was going to love the main character Okay. because she starts out as an absolute total bitch. She's the, she's definitely the the person who typically dies first.
1: Right. Right, right, right.
0: And that is Tree from Happy Death Day. So the movie begins, basically, she wakes up in this guy's dorm room. It's it's her birthday, but she's got a lot of... She's got a problem with her birthday because um, basically she and her mom had the same birthday and her mom died a few years ago, so she's uh, been kind of a bitch ever since. Gotcha. So she is basically like clearly treating everybody like shit and just not being a great person. And on her way to a party at the end of this day, she ends up dying, Mm. being killed by this guy in a a baby face mask. And then she wakes up and it's the beginning of that day again.
1: Fucking Groundhog Day. It
0: is essentially Groundhog Day, but but with death. So basically every time she dies, she... Wakes back up in Carter's dorm room. It's the same thing. It's. So it's kind of interesting because she starts to. She starts to want to figure out what exactly is going on. What's causing this.
1: Right. Because she's got memory of what happened. She has.
0: Not only does she have memory of it. The more she dies, the weaker she gets. Mm. The collective injuries start to show up. Oh, shit. Internally. So, like, there's one instance where she finally wakes. She wakes up from a death. And almost like instantly passes out, and so they take her to the hospital and they do a an X-ray, and the doctor basically says, based on this scarification and everything, you should be dead. Mm. And so she starts to figure out she's gotta she's gotta figure out what's going on soon, otherwise one of these deaths may be permanent.
1: So it's source code with consequences.
0: Basically, yes. Gotcha. But she kind she becomes better. Because through these repeated deaths, she starts to see kind of and realize how shitty she's been being to the people around her by being the stereotypical alpha bitch.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: And decides that she doesn't necessarily want to be like that anymore. Maybe this repeated death thing is karma giving her an opportunity to be a better person. So she defends people she wouldn't normally defend. She makes up with her dad because they've had kind of a strained relationship ever since her mom died. It's it's very good. It's really funny, uh, and some of the music is also very good. Cool. But I really enjoyed it. I I've looked at the sequel, and I'm not sure how I feel about the sequel because it kind of explains why the death loop happened, and I'm happier not knowing why.
1: Yeah, I'd rather not know.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that tree is my fi- is my final one. Just because she's she your final final. girl. She's my final final girl, but just because realistically, in any other slasher movie, she wouldn't be the final girl. But in this instance, she is. Hmm. And I kind of like that.
1: Deep thoughts. Deep th- <laughs> How many times do you have to die brutally before you start being a decent person?
0: If I remember correctly, she dies t- 26 times? Oof. Something like that?
1: Oof. And?
0: My favorite one is when she purposefully gets herself arrested. And then uh, the killer slams into the cop And then lights the fuel from the car on fire because she's already handcuffed in the back of the car. So she sees the line of fire coming toward the car and she's like, motherfucker.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man.
0: Yeah, it's great. I intend to buy a copy at some point just because I liked it so much, which doesn't happen very often for me. Fair enough. Did you have any additional final girl or final girl thoughts? Um...
1: I mean, there, there were a lot to choose from. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of other films that have, you know, the final girl trope in it. You could look at Alice from the Resident Evil series. You could look at Christy Cotton from the Hellraiser series.
0: Right.
1: Shit. Ch- uh, Sue Snell from Carrie. From
0: Carrie, yeah.
1: There's also some other films that I haven't had a chance to see, but I understand also, you know, carry this pretty well. Um, like Last Woman Standing in 31,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: we haven't had a chance to we see those yet. We haven't had
0: a chance to watch those yet.
1: But, you know, next time you're watching a horror film and you start seeing this this trope building, take a moment to kind of say, okay, how is this being, how am I receiving this information?
0: And you that's know, the thing. Is this, is this stereo, is this trope something that needs to be retired?
1: Or is it something that is empowering?
0: Right. Because, I, I mean, we're not going to answer that definitively because we're not, we're, we are not film scholars. <laughs>
1: But, but I mean, it, it is an interesting thing to look at, though, because is it tired? Yeah, kind of. Mm-hmm. But sometimes tired is good. That old sweater that has a hole in it. It's so comfy, though. Right. But th- is it problematic?
0: It, I think that's part of my deal with it, is that because it's so tied up in the gender binary, it, it becomes, it can be damaging, I think, depending on your audience. Although that really comes along to you have also kind of have to look at representation.
1: Right. Because I mean, if you say, okay, well, you know, we'll, we'll clear the way for anyone to be, you know, the final person. But then the second, you know, you have a couple films in a row kill a, you know, a a queer character or, or anything like that. Now they're saying, oh, well, okay. Is that this, or is this bury your gaze?
0: Right. Exactly. I don't,
1: I don't know of any filmmakers out there that are saying, Hey, uh, the next film I want uh, i wanna I wanna make sure that only the trans woman survives. Right. you know that that's that's taking a huge risk. And while I would love to see that kind of representation where actually i'd I'd love to see representation where there's no surprise or no big reveal as far as like, okay, so someone's sexuality shouldn't be tied to their validity, right uh, same same with you know gender identity. You know all all these other you know labels and, and constructs that, right. that we're trying to weave and work around as we grow and evolve as human beings. You know it'd be nice to just be like, oh, that's weird. You like that on your ice cream? That should be something that could be right. a twist. S-
0: heterosexuality should not be the, the
1: the obvious
0: the the obvious or the default setting or, of a sh- character.
1: Should that matter for a character? I mean, that's that's probably a topic for an entirely other episode, but... Well,
0: yeah, we'll talk about... At some point, I want to talk about other important topics when it comes to representation and stuff in horror film. I know you guys come here for, like, you know, jokes and stuff, and we we do that, but there also are also times where we need to use our platform to discuss important shit that affects not just us, but people that are close to us and the world in general. So at some point i'd like to talk about how you know how women are portrayed in horror films queer representation in horror we will be doing an episode for black representation mm-hmm. in horror film this february because in the united states february is black history month although i have a problem with the whole black history month thing just because black history is american history black yeah. history is human history it's not it, february it shouldn't be relegated to a single month it should be something that's celebrated year-round but you know
1: yeah we're getting there folks we're getting there i feel eventually. like we're getting there it's... well
0: certain people are getting there
1: <laughs> well then it's just a matter some of some people are
0: still trying to hold us back
1: <laughs> i am significantly younger than most of the people trying to hold us back it's a matter of attrition they'll be gone soon okay fair <laughs> i mean it's a waiting game at that point
0: that is i mean fair that is a fair statement i guess
1: I mean, I don't wish ill on anyone, but.
0: Either help or get out of the way.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, so, a uh, special shout out to our.
0: Yeah, so Patreon. We've got a Patreon. It's a yeah. thing that we have. Yes, it is. Uh, if you feel like supporting us financially, that you're... would be amazing. We yeah, would you're fucking welcome love to. that. We would welcome it. Don't feel obligated, obviously. Right. Uh, shit is still really fucked up right now. The unemployment rate, at least in the United States, I know, is still very high. So some people may not be able to afford to be Patreon patrons right now and that's fine.
1: Yeah. And um, I mean some countries are going back into lockdown so
0: Right or yeah exactly. But if you do want to, if you can and you want to, you can find us at patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. Mm -hmm. Currently, our two Patreon subscribers, we have Lizzie, otherwise known as Carnage Candy. She is on uh, Twitter and YouTube. She does horror review videos, and she does some lists and and stuff like that. And her makeup is always on point.
1: Yes, she is. Or yes, yes, it is.
0: (laughs) And then we have my mom. Yeah. Uh, Teresa, who is our top-tier donor. Yep. And we appreciate that as well.
1: Best mother-in-law ever.
0: Yeah, she's amazing. I love my mom. I don't
1: even like saying in-law, because that, sound, that sounds like a negative connotation, at least in Western society. In
0: Western society, there is a negative, yeah. But, I like, mean, you oh, can say the same thing.
1: For, my in-laws are awesome. I, I am one of the most fortunate people I know.
0: Oh, thank you. I'm sure they... Appreciate that.
1: No, oh, I meant, you know, because of you too, not not just my in-laws.
0: Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you are unable to support us financially, we totally understand. We are in the same place with some content creators that we follow. There are several I would love to be able to be on their Patreon, and I just can't yet. But you can always give us a review on Apple Podcast if you listen to us that way. We are now up to six reviews. Sweet all of them five-star reviews (laughs) so we're doing pretty good as far as reviews go we don't have a lot of reviews but they're all tops so thank you so thank you thank if you have reviewed us thank you if you haven't please do uh we would like to get to 50 by the end of the year i feel like that's an attainable goal
1: i Uh, mean yeah theoretically
0: in theory yeah it's though really it's not up to us no Um, it's not (laughs) <laughs> you can follow us on twitter at h2horrorcast uh you can email us at h2horrorcast at com, and you can also follow our facebook page for his and hers horror on facebook yeah all right and with that i think we're done for the evening
1: mm, time for dinner
0: time for di- oh my god pizza
1: seems like every time we record we're saying we're having pizza
0: not every time there was that one time i we were recording where i was making quesadillas after oh yeah
1: Anyway,
0: <laughs> anyway, time to go have food. Uh, until next time, I'm Tia.
1: And I'm still David.
0: And thank you for listening.
1: Bye. Music for this episode was Out of Time by Shane Ivers of Silverman Sound. Our artwork was created by Katherine Nixon.